Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the peeves in the background, throwing ink pots for no reason of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who have many, many uses for a room of requirement. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing? Doing quite well. Always love when we're being compared to peeves in some shape or form or degree. <laughs> I ke- it seems very common. I kept trying to, I was reading the section and I kept trying to remember, like, is there a payoff for this? No. no. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> Peeves is, is a very live-in-the-moment kind of creature. His payoff is just the reactions on their faces. Mm-hmm. So we are... I don't have my book with me. What chapter number are we on? We are on chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army. Dumbledore's Army. Army. In this, the fifth book of Harry Potter, we have some sections um, that we and some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are questions... And queries and qualms and quibbles uh, that I am. I'm in a great mood today, guys. So let's not ruin it. Okay. (laughs) We'll try. Starting that off, though, against all odds, you succeeded on your time task on last episode. Yeah. Six month delay, whatever else attached to it. Coming off that head of steam, how aggressive do you want to be in your rapid fire recap this week? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not feeling overly confident in my recap this week, but I did not bet last week. So I am going to try to get an extra point. Um, I'm going to go for a one minute, 53 second bet. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Properly guessing. I don't know right. this is going to work, but we're going to try it. The stopwatch is ready whenever you are. Hermione's convinced Umbridge is watching Harry's mail through Filch. They're still shaken from the close call with Sirius the night before. Angelina got permission from McGonagall to reform the Quidditch team, but Hermione's too busy having a crisis of confidence to notice. She's got a very Molly-like attitude that if Sirius is in favor of something, it's actually probably dangerous. Harry leaps to his defense, saying he's always given him them great advice, but Hermione thinks he's living vicariously through them because he's cooped up at Grimmel Place. The weather's abysmal for Quidditch practice that night. Even with spells to keep the rain off their faces, they can't see anything. When they finally give up on practice, Harry comes to the ground with a throbbing pain in his scar. Ron's confused because Voldemort can't be near them now, but Harry thinks it's because Voldemort's particularly angry. Ron wants him to tell somebody, but Harry's already told Sirius and Dumbledore knows, but doesn't seem to care. Harry's thought to, thoughts go back to the, quote, weapon Voldemort's looking for as they head back to the castle. He's got hours of work, of work ahead of him. As the night wears on, he falls asleep in the common room, dreaming about the mysterious corridor, only to be awoken by Dobby, who's brought Hedwig back to him, who's sitting on top of a stack of hats on Dobby's head. He also has on several scarves and mini socks. He's the one who's been picking up all of Hermione's clothes. The other house elves refuse to clean the Gryffindor common room anymore because of the trap she's laid. Harry asks Dobby to find them a room where the Defense Against the Dark Arts group could meet, and Dobby recommends the room of requirement. It's there when you need it and always has whatever you require in it. They meet there the next night, and after walking past asking the room for a place to fight and practice where they can't be found, they walk into a room equipped with books, instruments, practice materials, everything they need. Hermione insists on they elect a leader, unanimously Harry, and choose a name, Dumbledore's Army. They start with Expelliarmus, and Harry's a good teacher? He also gets to help Cho, who's very nervous when Harry comes around. Cho says her friend doesn't really want to be there because her parents support the ministry. Luna pipes up that her father is very supportive of anti-ministry action, especially given Fudge's goblin assassinations and the secret workings of the Department of Mysteries. Time's up, and they have to get back to the dorms very carefully, but Harry is feeling pretty pleased with himself. 
Oh, I know. I stopped just a second early. Look at that. You, you, you ended up perfectly at 153. Perfectly at 153. But I am, in fact, within the bounds. You are within the bounds, yes. So I will take my <laughs> extra point or points. I've forgotten the rules at this point, but quite frankly, they don't matter. No, you're doing fine. I actually misread it and thought it was going to 158. And so oh. I decided to cheat in your favor. So, you know, you're doing fine. <laughs> that was a very nice gesture, Spencer. Turns out uh, it know, was team, team. entirely unnecessary. BJ's I, just I like re- shaking his head. I feel like I really embodied I, Team Hufflepuff right there, right then. A little bit, but also, you know, when you do things like that, it reflects poorly on me. That you allow me to do them? In defense of your character. <laughs> and, and, and now I'm realizing that this possibly was a mistake. Also, <laughs> Too late now, they're BJ. ink pellets and not ink pots. And I, it, well, he does at one point pellets, dump a pot of ink on top of Katie Bell, I think. Uh, it's ink pellets. And, which is wild to me because I don't know what ink pellets are supposed to be. I think that those are actually I, just meant for throwing ink at people. I, like, like, I, I have the book open. It's insane. I know but, that, like, no, I know that he is, they are talking about ink pellets for part of it, but I think yeah. at the very end of that scene, he does dump an ink pot. Okay. Very possibly. I don't, but, I don't but, actually know this, but for like inkwells, whatever else, could it essentially be in a hardened form that's then melted down to, ma- to yeah. have the ink? Well, it's not melted down. It's mi- usually mixed with water mm. or something like Diluted, that. Diluted, yes. Um, no, not... I, I was trying to go with the right word for that, what that would be, and diluted was the word that came out. <laughs> okay, so it's an ink bottle <laughs> okay. that is dumped over right. but, somebody's but head. An ink pellet is, like, I, I guess I've never seen things like that. I don't that. know what it is. Um, and... A complete non sequitur because uh, we we are getting into my wizard wheezes. Um, oh, they in, do exist in a, a ink pellets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that that's what you would do to like mix up ink. But um, a a previous uh, boss of mine spent a lot of time looking at uh, ink suspensions, basically under very high power magnification, to find ones that were even like. Uh, even particulate size for science applications. And so now I have this information about which ink is very good for particulates. Well, you know, I think that and it has been useful. Like it has been useful in my scientific career to know this. Now, which is why now I have anyway. a vision of you writing some sort of review on some like d- very niche website about ink pellets and they're like and peeves finding it at some point <laughs> and reading it with glee oh the fan service the show produces is goes in really weird directions so scientifically this ink pellet gives you a much better coating of somebody that you were to uh <laughs> attack with somebody on supposed to think ink pellet because this does not give you as as even a <laughs> somebody on amazon's got the weirdest two-star review <laughs> Uh, this is what I'm here for. Uh, sure. <laughs> what else are you wheezing about, BJ? So, first of all, I'm wheezing about Silencio because it is very unclear how this works, and uh, it seems to be somewhat capricious in how it works, whether it just stops sound or whether it stops the production of sound, mm. which one is unsurprising in terms of a magic spell, and the other is concerning and we leaned more towards concerning and came back the other way, which was a little bit nice to see that we're not just sort of torturing animals mm-hmm. uh, recklessly and continuously, but we are leaning that direction. So, yeah. 
Um, I also find it very funny that, uh, and I guess I'll mention it here because why not, that we are working on silencing charms and then later in the book, in this chapter, we have a problem because it is too loud in general. So <laughs> Silencio very clearly is like a living object like thing mm-hmm. only, like, you know, animals, I guess, and above. Uh, but also seems like it would be one of the more powerful spells that you could ever use on somebody else. Uh, maybe up near the un- unforgivable curses area, because unclear how it stops. Um, maybe I sort of missed that in my read-through, but, like, Silencio's shorter than Expelliarmus, and... Uh, it's the complete disarm. I mean... Yeah. It, it, I, well... It, it's a spell with potentially massive uses, because at least for most of the ones we've seen, there is an oral component when it comes to making to casting spells. Not do it, Doing can, them silently is advanced magic, as we, I think, have talked about before, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and most, most wizards and witches don't bother with it. Um, right. It's certainly and, not for everyday things. It seems like for even wizards that are capable of it, you are making it more difficult mm-hmm. for them, at least potentially. So yeah, I think so. It's a straight D&D silence spell. Literally a silence yeah. spell. It is massively potentially useful and powerful. There are several massively potentially usefully powerful spells that we get in this chapter seemingly for the first time. I would like to point out that um, somewhere at <laughs> somewhere in the United States and possibly at the, the U.S.-based Wizarding School, uh, they are having rampant controversial debates about Silencio and the First Amendment. <laughs> I I mm. also imagine mm. that Silencio is a lot more like the cone of silence than <laughs> an actual functional spell. Sure. Well, um, we don't get a lot of evidence that it's functional here. Uh, so I'm about to to ruin your good mood, Sarah, and I'm excited about it. Um, so in the back and forth about Sirius having a suggestion and Hermione being down on it, um, I have a new nickname for Ron. Oh boy. Because of this little sentence right here, which is Sirius is right, you do sound just like my mother. It's he's now Oedipus Ron. <laughs> I actually like that. <laughs> you you can keep using that, PJ. I'm not opposed. I actually really like that. Yes, unclear if this is um, you know cause of chicken or egg in my good mood, but <laughs> I'm here for it, and I like yep. it. Um, my favorite thing so far, probably not in this book, but definitely in this chapter, is that. And, and maybe, I guess this is, a, I feel like, a very English thing. They're trudging through wet mud, carrying their brooms, and spraying up mud, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. on their brooms on the pitch. Oh, mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. dumb, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but to trudge, there's something proudly, proudly English about that process. If only they had on their wellies at the same time, they would be... <laughs> I just, it, this is like the least American thing of all times. Oh, absolutely. The, I, I have a means of conveyance that I can avoid effort, getting dirty, all of these things, and I'm not going to use Mm-mm. it, and I'm going to trudge in the rain. <laughs> the English properly understand that sometimes the suffering is part of the experience. <laughs> and God knows that Harry needs to build all the character that he possibly can. <laughs> 
I think that's a little bit better for newbies notes, but I do want to mention that Ron's the voice of reason yet again. And so we know there's going to be a hard left turn very, very soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. When Ron starts making sense, all hell's about to break loose. Um, I also like to think that, how do I put this? Um, the time that Ron is spending with Hermione is influencing him in certain ways uh, because she knows how to best shape his behavior uh, using his uh, perhaps edible Oedipal interests. I'm, I'm going to need more details on <laughs> all of this. I'll pose to I, I'm it, not saying they're on. snogging and that's changing Ron's behavior for the quote-unquote better, but I'm not saying that's not happening. Mm. Oh, um... When we get there, highlight the scene. I'm curious. It's it's not that there isn't a scene, but I'm just saying that Ron's behavior is slowly changing to be more in line with what Hermione wants. Mm. And there is absolutely no way that he's doing this of his own per se volition. So there has to be something that Hermione has that he wants that she is shaping his behavior with. A, pro- a proper incentive, as it were? <laughs> Maybe. Uh- I don't know. On that note, shall I go into Nippy's notes? Yes. <laughs> uh, starting things off, there is something that is so profoundly innocent, almost of a bygone era, with their surprise that someone's reading their mail. Like they're like they, they've just been mm-hmm. a long walk for them to you know accept the idea that the government agent may be reading their mail, and you know we now live in a world of like, well, that was our assumption like page one when that happened. But to be fair. They kind of have, like, it's not end-to-end encryption, but they have personal carriers for their messages that unclear. So we have a very uh, wild system of message delivery, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes it is uh, essentially door dashed into a class. um, And sometimes it's, I think, like, essentially, like, in the Owlry, and you can go pick it up. So it's, like, in the general post office. Or it gets dropped at the Great Hall at breakfast, I think, is the, like, main delivery time. But, like, it's it's centralized kind of thing. Right. But it's personalized centralized. Where, like, all of the owls come in at the same time. Mm -hmm. I guess my assumption is that, like, the owls know this and do whatever the hell they want up until that time. As opposed to, like, they just sort of hang out with packages, uh... In the Owlry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise, there is a whole lot of poop on every on single everything. one of these messages being <laughs> delivered at breakfast. Yeah, I, and... I hope they're hanging out in the Forbidden Forest beforehand, not... It, I don't it, know. It seems, like there, it seems like there'd be any number of opportunities for the government to screen your calls and screen your owl messages before they arrive at you. I, I also think that, like, the waylaying of an owl um, is relatively easy but like a little bit harder to do without like ruffling their feathers as it mm-hmm. were. So, I mean, in this case, like it's a little bit more obvious than it might be otherwise what? because I think, um, yeah, I, I, sorry to interrupt. I was just thinking back to our last chapter too, because it seems to me like this is one of those ideas where like, of course people know intellectually that somebody could get your owl and, and read your mail, but it seems to be such a sort of like, sacrosanct sort of thing because even grubbly plank wasn't she was like well it looks like something is great you know has attacked this owl and mm-hmm. at no point did it come up from her that like 
you know, this is an injury you might see if somebody had grabbed your owl and tried to read your mail, which, by the way, you have left still attached to your owl. <laughs> well, it's like we discussed last chapter. A lot of this has been run on rules of decorum. Yeah. And someone is now no longer willing to play by those rules. As we saw a few chapters back, which they reference here, Filch can just go to the hourly and check your mails. He was doing that. Mm-hmm. Harry just happened to be there to interrupt. Yeah. So there's not, there's not even necessarily a need to attack when that's also a possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and to be fair, if Hedwig wasn't part of a uh, white pride militia, like, it might not have, like, turned out the way it did, where, you know, she successfully delivered the, the mail, possibly without it being read. Okay, moving on. Uh, we do get animal abuse again this chapter. BJ, I thought you'd be amused. It's been a while since we had, you know, proper abuse of animals in Harry Potter with respect to whatever Harry's doing with his bullfrog throughout the scene. Kind of like most of what Dobby's wearing, it's old hat. <laughs> it no longer merits note anymore. I actually proved that would be it. was very well done. Uh, one, uh, I've, adding to the list of reasons why I could never actually function in this world, if the particular wand gestures also matter precisely in terms of what the spell is pulling off, I'm hopeless. I have no hope it, at all that I'm going to get a sufficient jab in the bullfrog's eye to make Silencio happen. This I is don't think the jab in the eye was supposed to happen, by the way. Yeah, it was not. General category. Yeah. But this is capriciousness of the wizarding rules, so that I think it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to describe wacky wand movements than it is to differentiate pronunciation, pronunciation mm-hmm. of things that no one knows how to pronounce. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so That's we should be shifted because this makes more sense, but it has to be something. It has to be something because Hermione needs to be good at it and everybody else needs to be not as good at it, particularly Ron and Harry. So they always have homework that they complain about because mm-hmm. this is going to be true when we have a wizarding war and everybody's in bunkers and they're like, oh yes, but I have to complete Snape's essay that he assigned to us <laughs> before midnight because we all have to be in our bunks before midnight because the wizarding war ends at sundown. Mm-hmm. At the 11th hour. Mm. Uh, I very much with you, you think on that there's point. a New Year's Quidditch match? Hmm. Or a Christmas Quidditch Cri- match? Christmas, Probably. Yes, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, did we know before this chapter that to what degree the actual wand movement was the necessary part of spells? I think it's like been implied before, but this is yeah. very specifically stated. I don't think we've gotten a statement like this before, but we have, like in lessons, gotten indications oh, the of the swish and flick yeah. and, and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I think we knew that it was... Not just a flourish. Yeah, that it was kind of an integral part of the spell, but not, uh, not to this degree. Hmm. So if you had ever been purchased a one of the fancy Harry Potter uh, toys, you could experience the wand-waving magic that, that is those, I assume, Hasbro toys. Uh, I have one, and they are very specific on the wand movements that you must make to make the spell work. Mm, mm. Yeah. I, and I think it's Wingardium Leviosa. Mm, my apologies. <laughs> As we see later, I totally just set somebody on fire, I guess. You know how precise you have to be with these. Uh, based on things we discussed last chapter, I enjoyed that Snape's punishment is standard. That mm-hmm. mess up on your particular class assignment, your homework is unpack why you did that for next week. Mm-hmm. And this isn't yep. Flitwick being a dick. This is just Flitwick being a good teacher. And with this one, Harry is yeah. just mildly professionally annoyed. Whereas with Snape, well... 
any even the most mild annoyance becomes amplified by Snape doing it. Uh, BJ, you were also 100% correct about McGonagall making Gryffindor Quidditch happen, and I enjoy that the book just made that very, very explicit. It's like, uh, Angelina, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like, McGonagall's already behind the scenes making the government workings occur so that she is not having any delay in getting her proper Gryffindor Quidditch fix by the time the season comes around. So the other thing that I, th- I, I don't believe, and this might be... Uh, not very nice of me that I don't believe that J.K. Rowling like had in mind, but let's say that uh, we only get the Slytherin team practicing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now what? Yeah. Do they just not have matches? Like yeah, it it doesn't work. Like there what? have to be other right. teams that come back. Or and, Slytherin and so, just gets forfeits, and they'd be perfectly happy to just get forfeits from the other teams. They'd they just win the cup, the, the Quidditch Cup, yeah. based on. <laughs> I, I don't think they I, I don't think they would because it's not enough for Slytherin to win. Somebody else needs to lose. Mm, the, that's a good the point. The actual act the actual act of getting the victory would only be part of it. It's the rubbing it in afterwards that would be the win for them. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I really think that that this is such a good and I'm going to say inadvertent because it very much feels inadvertent of. Uh, like undercut of what it means to only let the 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 Slytherin team practice and play mm. because I mean I guess we don't get anything about Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff because no one cares about them and they don't matter in this entire story but that's fairly clear what is happening because like yes. Slytherin needed special dispensation so they had that win but I feel like no no one thought about that and that yeah. is such a good like undercut to like the capriciousness of the evil that is short-sighted mm-hmm. yes. in mm-hmm. in the characters that we have just a side note though on what i think slytherin's ideal situation actually would have been in that point i i think that they do want to play somebody and win but i think that what they would have wanted was the rule to be yes gryffindor team yes ravenclaw yes hufflepuff you can reform but none of the none of your previous players are allowed to come back. Oh God, fresh teams effective immediately. Mm-hmm. So, I I think this differentiates uh, how I think about Slytherin and how you do. I think what they would want is that the teams can play the games but never practice. I can and see. So yeah, they I don't can see get that like, too. But the the club part, but they only get the like school sanctioned like these are when matches happen mm. um, because. Because the only person that matters on the Slytherin team is Malfoy. And the only thing that makes Malfoy happy right now is Harry losing. Mm-hmm. And if Harry's not playing, he's not really losing. I am. Okay. It, this is fascinating to watch an int- we'll both a, a Slytherin and a Ravenclaw comment on this. Because I'm, the, the thought processes are so in keeping <laughs> with respective houses. Uh, <laughs> this debate is going to be settled by the end of this book. Malfoy will have character growth. <laughs> fine, but whatever. But that's not that's not how he's been written up till now. Uh, I, I very much enjoy the implication we get in this book that everyone past your first year is just annoyingly tolerant of Peeves. They know how he works. <laughs> they instinctually just have the guards up to block his pellets as they go by, while the little first years are just getting pelted at all possible hours of the day and evening. I imagine that Peeves is not creative. No, no. It wouldn't be fun for him to be such. He's creative in the songs that he comes up with, I think. And that's, he's really a wordsmith more than anything else. Hmm. 
I have a theory. Oh, please. Go on. Peeves can communicate with the hat, mm-hmm. and the sorting hat <laughs> is the only one that comes up with anything. The sorting hat is the only one that comes up with anything entertaining, and most of it goes to Dumbledore. Do you have a... Is the, Are you debuting a Shakespeare isn't Shakespeare theory for Peeves? <laughs> yes. And, and honestly, like, mm. okay, to be fair, Peeves... Is is not Shakespeare. Um, this is much more debuting the theory that George R. R. Martin can't actually write, and it's the people that wrote The Expanse that made Game of Thrones happen. Mm. Who have since left him behind. Uh, I enjoyed the chapter, the little little note in this chapter of Hermione's opinion about whether this is a good idea being directly dependent on what other people think about it. That. When she hears Sirius is okay with this, she is out. Mm-hmm. And we've all met people like that. It's like, I think it's a good idea. Wait, you're in favor of it? I'm having second thoughts. <laughs> Meanwhile, her trust of Dumbledore is so much more off the charts than mine ever could be. Like, I have doubts. Dumbledore's okay with this? I'm willing to walk into machine gun fire. Meanwhile, I'm... I, I don't know I'm necessarily more up on Dumbledore than, than Sirius, but I have similar categories of thoughts with respect to both of them. I find that interesting. I, I would have expected you to be a lot more trusting of the outcome of Dumbledore's suggestions and whatever, maybe not the process. It's one of those things of where I can have a, I have a better read on what Sirius is doing in a given moment and can predict that better than I can with Dumbledore. Dumbledore may have the best of intentions in mind. I'll never know what stage of the game that's at, and he is perfectly happy to treat me as a pawn in that process. That's fair. Uh... The second or third. You're more of a rock. The the, uh, second or third of the new spells we get is imper. Is it just impervious? Is that just the spell? Mm. Yeah. That's a useful one to have. Yes, which I think we talked about when Hermione cast it on Harry's glasses Mm -hmm. in the third book. I think it's been a while since that was thrown out. Yeah, it does reference that. It it seems useful, but it's it it seems like uh like the waterproof spray. Like or, or or like uh you know the the non nonstick coating like yeah. it works mm-hmm. well for a little while and then it's maybe more of a problem than it it, it also seems like it works better like God do these teams need goggles do they need some form of eye protection it seems like it works better when there is an object to cast it on everybody else yeah. just kind of casts it about themselves and it practically does nothing yeah so at some point. Arthur Weasley is going to bust out the motorcycle goggles from, like, the 30s and change Quidditch Quidditch forever. forever. (laughs) And that will be his one footnote in history. And the Weasleys will never have money problems again. Would he? Oh, no, they will, because (laughs) kind of of like Salk, he won't patent it. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He'll just give it to everybody. Yeah. It'll, It'll be like, you know, he's super excited about it. He makes some sort of magic goggle replication thing. And you know what's going to happen is he's going to tell Mundungus about it. Mundungus is going to patent it. Mundungus will be rich. I can see this happening right now. Assuming Mundungus he doesn't sell cheap knockoffs and destroys an industry. Uh, the Scar Mood Barometer is among the most powerful aces in a hole that our team has gotten yet. And so I love that in character, Harry, knowing he has this, goes through the thought process of, well, I told Dumbledore I had it in the past. That's all I need to tell him, right? Like, Harry, you've told Dumbledore you have the ability. Now you need to give him regular updates when it works. I think Shouldn't that Harry have to is, explain this to you. Yeah, I think Harry is still 
feeling a little feeling a little feisty over the fact that he thought that Dumbledore was ignoring him this summer. That seems to be very much at play, and it does dilute how proud I was of him that he immediately went to Ron and told him that what was going on, and yeah. coupled with the one person that had most use of this knowledge, Harry is acting like an annoyed teen with. Yeah. Yes, but also, I, I, I feel like no one has explicitly dealt with Harry off, basically off screen to everybody else in this world, killed one of his classmates, said it was Voldemort, and everybody was just like, well, maybe Voldemort's around, but like, you're the only bad thing that we can see. And not even Dumbledore was just like, this is a big deal. We need to sit down and talk about this. If Voldemort's back, here's some things that we kind of need to deal with. Or even people in Order of the Phoenix. Like, there's been no real, like, any information that you have about Voldemort is priceless Mm -hmm. and needs to be communicated to the greater group it's been everybody else's reaction to kind of what happened which is like oh harry potter's associated with voldemort and a classmate died in circumstances that only he talks about i i think you don't agree but i don't think this is super far off base where where i could imagine a situation where he's just like i don't want to turn Dumbledore against me by saying, like, I have direct influence from the moods of Voldemort. Well, and I think, you know, I, I agree with your larger, with with your overall point. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I do think that there is, you know, there are a whole host of people who believe, who do believe Harry and believe that Voldemort is back. He, it, It's not that everyone is saying that, like, well, these were mysterious circumstances. Like, Dumbledore believes that Voldemort's back. He knows that Voldemort's back. Um, the Order of the Phoenix believed that he's he's back. Um, it's the the other you know the wider Wizarding World that that has the problem. But that being said, the larger point is correct. Nobody, even the people who believe that Voldemort is back, nobody is coming to Harry and saying, "Hey, you might have some insight about this. We could really use this." Also, how's it going, bud? Yeah, it, on on the point of could could they have handled this better? Dear. God, yes, at every stage of the game. They're partly driven by the fact that they just don't want to accept that this is happening and they've got their own trauma to deal with, and so they're being inherently selfish in that regard and short-sighted in that regard. Understand that, get it, it's a problem, though. Like you guys said, they should have somebody at Harry's arm at all times, just like treating him like a ham radio, putting out messages on what the enemy is doing. He is their enigma machine. Please, dear God, use him accordingly. They're not. On the same note, though, every single time Harry's ever revealed anything useful, everyone, everyone's default response is, well, we gotta tell Dumbledore. Everyone has responded that exact same way at every stage for every useful, you know, nugget of information that Harry's able to summon from somewhere. This isn't news. This is the plan. Harry is aware of that being the only means by which these guys disseminate information is send it to the top. And yet he's consciously not doing that I, I I understand your point, BJ, but I from he's he, he, well. I think even he would admit in the cold light of day he's not being any, in any way logical about this, and he's actually causing some problems. We have to suspend some disbelief because otherwise it, it it's and also like he's a dumb teenager. Yeah, like, you know, like it's in we, character. We yes, it it's kind of in character. Like I I don't think it's really in character because his willingness to go to random professors for random types of help is 
pretty high and the Dumbledore just isn't on there. I feel like Dumbledore needs for a variety of reasons, Dumbledore sort of needs to be phased out as the magic bullet for everything because Dumbledore is a walking deus ex machina and to to have that in your book is problematic. What? And so and I think to a certain degree, the book has started to do a job of showing that he is in universe viewed as a deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. And he isn't to the degree that everyone holds him up to be. They, everyone's kind of well, holding him up. Or at least as, he's not willing to be. He's either not willing. I feel, I feel like it's a little, maybe, like, I, I feel like this is like a Gandalf the Grey versus Gandalf the White thing or whatever. I think I'm referencing that right. <laughs> I'm never going to read it. It doesn't actually matter. Yeah. So, um, like... Does he feasibly have the power to affect things in ways that he shouldn't? Yes. Will he actually wield it? Unclear. But everybody knows that that it's a possibility. Everyone knows it's a possibility and assumes to a certain degree that he will always be there to protect them. It's a very much, this is our father and he will always be there to help us mindset of a five-year-old. And I think in some ways the book is starting to unpack that Dumbledore is in this role. He is the one person that everyone is willing to do this thing. And everyone assumes at all times that he's doing it flawlessly. And the more and more we see is that Dumbledore's behind the eight ball. He's been either messing this up or been unwilling to do the legwork necessary to actually pull this off as well as it needs to be. And yet everyone's putting all of their hopes and dreams in him in a way that is dangerous. Because even if Dumbledore's capable of this whatever else, no one has a plan that isn't Dumbledore. He is the ultimate weak spot in everything they have. He is the obvious target for assassination whatever else. Because they don't have any alternative but to him. There is no disseminated leadership structure other than Dumbledore will at some point save us all because he is God. And I think the text has been attacking both that he isn't and also that that's a horrible uh, way to to do a plan. Yeah. I I feel like there would be a very interesting... I, I think that there's an interesting thought experiment to what does Dumbledore do during the Harry Potter books? Like, what is Off going camera? on? Mm-hmm. I, I would out, love to camera. know that. Everyone, because, is, yeah. everyone assumes Spider at the center of a web. I would love if it's completely not that at all. I, I would love if it's completely not that, and I also think it'd be interesting if it was completely that, but there's a whole lot going on that is being taken care of off-scene. Sure. But, like, I think the... I think narratively, neither of those are at the forefront, and so Dumbledore needs to be pushed to the side because, like, it, he can't be the image of Dumbledore, and he can't lose the image of Dumbledore for the story's sake. Mm-hmm. To, to, to a certain degree, it's the unassailable nature of the Spartan military. They're almost afraid to use it at a certain point because the reputation is too important for it to ever be tarnished. Yes. Um, I, a profound moment of disappointment that Hermione wasn't there to find out that Dobby has been completely thwarting her spew plot from the very get-go. I have been waiting for this scene since the beginning of this book. Actually, since the beginning of... No, it's been a couple of books because it was since the beginning of Spew. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm straight up here for it. It was delightful. I enjoy it. My opinion of Dobby only actually is improving over time, which, God, did that catch me off guard. I was expecting <laughs> him to be a Jar Jar on the text for how much I would come to hate this character. And I've gone completely the other direction. I find him charming. Uh, but the fact Hermione wasn't immediately present to see Dobby walk in there with just a... Just a tower of hats upon his head of all of her achievements upon his person i'm hoping we get it later i'm desperately hoping we get it later because i want to see how she processes the fact that this one 
oh-so-well-meaning creature has completely made her last, what, at this point? It's been three books, right, that she's been engaged in spew activities? At least two? I mean, to be fair, has been engaged in allowing elves some form of consent to... (laughs) what their life is oh no what she's doing um, what she's been doing is is has all kinds of also horrendous elements too attached to it so i will say that i am disappointed in both of us that we didn't realize that this was going on because we did ponder. have in book didn't even ponder. that that he has been accumulating clothing articles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we we and they were a weird grab bag of things of varying levels of quality the thought at no point crossed our minds in this podcast that he is just the sole house elf that is taking all of her mighty shit. Uh, effectively, not intentionally, but effectively protecting all the other elves from her emotional trauma that she wanted to inflict upon them. I thought it was kind of, like, it seems like it was kind of intentional. Like, that he... I, I guess I read it that way because, like, he's like, yeah, I've, you know, I've been giving some to Winky, but, like, for the most part... Like, I've been trying to... I've been taking Yes. Because the, the mm-hmm. other house elves aren't cleaning Hogwarts because of yes. this. Right. And so, like... I, I, I'm more, I agree that's exactly what's happening. I'm more meant he's not, like, stepping in to take them so that some other house elf doesn't and then is rendered... Does and is therefore rendered sad. He's not... He's not he hasn't, there's no intentional effort at that role, at least not in the same way. Yeah, I don't... We don't... I, I guess we don't actually get direct evidence of that. He, like, it, it's kind of... A, it's potentially implied. Um, it's a little. It's a little. Again, a little chicken and eggy, right? Of how we got to this situation. We, we at some point need to be able to talk to the lead butler or the maitre d' house elf on staff just to have a third point of view on this, because I want somebody that is just in the system and happy about it to provide commentary on on Dobby. I like that the, would be fun. <laughs> I like the idea that the other house elves were perfectly willing to keep cleaning there when Hermione was still a completely novice knitter and you couldn't actually identify the garments she was creating as garments. But then they, like, she learned how to do a heel turn or something. I don't know. (laughs) And they were like... There's risk now. Nope, I'm out. That's a sock. Uh, Oh, darn. (laughs) God damn it, BJ. That one took a second. Um... Other things I do like, though, I, I really enjoy the implication that, Dob- that Dobby and Grumpy Plank may just hang out, or may just be around each other enough that he can just provide owl delivery. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's cute. I, I, I can actually kind of picture the scene of the two of them just take tea at a certain hour. Uh, the In terms of effective structure, the scene of Harry reading the text, and then the thought process that is in his mind as he reads each particular line... I thought it was well done. Mm-hmm. I thought that I, I thought that was a well structured kind of moment in a way that only the text can do. I imagine there's no hope for that in any any adaptation, but that was a fun bouncing about of psychology based on the moment that I thought was well executed. Uh, the room of requirement is on the list of the most overpowered ma- magical artifacts in Hogwarts. That's just there. That should be mass produced to no end. That should be everywhere all at once to make the dreams happen but isn't in a way that only Hogwarts can make possible because the most powerful magical shit needs to be hidden at all hours and all times. So two things. I wanted to take a quick step back. If I I hope this is the case because I will be proud of JK Rowling if this is the case, but I desperately want uh, Sirius to be under the influence of some of the things in this potion because that would be such good foreshadowing. Oh, of the one that Harry's reading about? Yes. Mm. Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. That could be fun. 
I am like 99.99% sure that it's not the case, but like dare to dream, sir. <laughs> it it it's obvious enough that like somebody reading along at the right age could see it and definitely would be like, "Oh, that's super cool in a mm-hmm. reread." Um I I appreciate that the Marauders map is being used again. I do too. Mm-hmm. But the Mar- I I the Marauders map needs to be on their per- <laughs> I suppose it can't be on their person at all times because there risks somebody would find it or take it, but it is an incredible useful artifact that they need to be using more. I guess my question is, how do the Marauder's Map and the room work together? They don't use the Marauder's Map to find the room. Mm-mm. Am I correct in right. that? They're, they're, somebody has to tell them, Dobby has to tell them where the access point effectively is. Yeah, the room itself is not on the map. It isn't in any one place at one time. It's there when you need it to kind of stumble into it. And so... Th- so if they were to use the Marauder's map while somebody was in the room, or while they're in the room, are they not on the map? I believe so. So This well, is actually answered at some point, and I actually I can't remember what the answer is. Like, I, I know that it comes up, I just don't remember what... I don't think it's on the map at all. Well, in this chapter, they are somewhere, because he's able to use the Marauder's map to make sure that people are able to exit the room okay, and he can track their progress going out of the room if, back to their rooms. Yeah, so once you have entered into the room... The room doesn't move. Um, mm-hmm. it, the room is where aff- it is. It's in a fixed location that appears in the map. Yeah, but so you otherwise... will enter into it and leave it at the same place in the castle. So if you know where where it was when you went into it, um, you can kind of, mo- you know, they're monitoring the hallways outside to make sure that, like, Belch isn't prowling the hallways while they're trying to leave. I et imagine cetera, et cetera. a bunch of overlapping dots for everybody that's in the room where it was found at that time mm. is, like, the most, like, sensible way for everything to like come together the right way but i also sort of want to point out that this is a feature of hogwarts in general that i feel like went by the wayside right after it was mentioned which is that the access uh for of uh and directions from point a to point b are are not the same Mm -hmm. and change Mm -hmm. and i don't i think we had this in the first book and i think it has been completely ignored, basically, uh, since then. I think we get. I mean, I think we get some references to the moving stairways and stuff like that, but it doesn't end up playing like a huge, um, a huge part in things. And I'm actually not. Does anybody have in front of them like what is that? What I think probably what Dobby would end up actually saying about the room of requirement moving. I don't remember. It's wherever somebody like really needs something. He's not. And... He's not specific about okay. this. He's not even. Spe- yeah. We didn't really hear him specifically say. Uh, tell harry where to go and but you have to pass like a certain place three times right. and that is good that's consistent that comes up again and we see it in the movies too but i don't now i'm not yeah. i'm not super sure that the room moves i don't know i i feel like this is sort of one of those things that you just sort of have to accept because we all think that the room of requirement means that it's whatever whoever is trying to find it needs it's actually just a, a room of narrative requirement and it's only, <laughs> solely for jk rowling <laughs> if it happens I'm, to benefit someone else on the off chance then all the better but so so the question is was the whistle there in the beginning of at, at its creation because it knew that he would need it or did it operate into existence upon him saying that it was needed unclear where the things that are in the room of requirement at any given point actually come from and when they do yeah um i think the room of requirement is in the same place 
in the castle. I'm looking at the wiki now. I think it's just up on the seventh floor in the same place, but the door isn't there. Like, it doesn't have a door until you do the things you're supposed to do to get into it. Ritual. Okay, sure. Uh, Um, I, I, I want to imagine that anytime somebody has, like, disappeared something that it goes to a place that the, this room can access. Hmm. So, like, it won't have the best of everything, mm-hmm. but it will have something. Yeah. We get we do get a lot more information about the room of requirement moving forward. Or we oh, at least see yeah. it many more times. I don't know if more information I, is the right term to use. This is their meeting place. I'm expecting to see this thing every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> as a frequent defense attorney, Dumbledore's Army, I will fully acknowledge its excellent internal branding. It is. It will be a very effective recruitment tool. This is also something you're going to regret when you're brought up on charges later, because this is unnecessarily provocative shit. And if your main marketing point for it is, oh, that's the ministry's greatest fear, maybe don't name yourself that. DA is not enough to hide that you have tapped into what the ministry's single greatest fear in the world is. It, 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 are you? Is everybody happy about it? Sure. Is it a wonderful rallying cry? Yes. Will this later get you ten to twenty? Probably. <laughs> Would you prefer the Confederate Wizards of Dumbledore? Confederated. Let's not go completely on point. Uh, let's see here. Harry's argument of this saved my life in June is such an effective way of stopping any further conversation on this. It was a powerful yeah, scene really of, of just that you. I'm here because I'm teaching you what's kept me alive to this point. Mm-hmm. Why are we having this talk anymore? Uh, Sarah, like you said, Harry's a teacher is... I'm here for it. He's he good. Does well with the job. Yeah. He, he, th- there's some growing pains. He's isolating certain people because he finds them cute. Eventually gets out of that. Um, but he does fairly well with it, it seems. And like, and this is his first day. I imagine it can only improve from here. We've been debating what Harry's future career is. Teacher may not be completely out of bounds. Uh, Neville is continuing to complete his hero arc, and I'm com- 100% here for it. Uh baby steps but he's making it happen he he managed to do expelliarmus on someone not paying attention and not in fact even looking at him uh i there is a part of me that's just like and like it seems like expelliarmus like it doesn't matter if somebody's paying attention like i it's very unclear how expelliarmus works in other than well other than as a, a a plot point um I almost thought so. I almost thought that moment was Harry rationalizing that Neville just beat him. I, I almost wondered to what degree Maybe. is that Harry is that Harry just saying, oh, "Well, you know, good job, Neville." But I, I, you know, I, it's like the first time somebody even teaching chess beats you mm-hmm. after like years of doing it. Your immediate instinct is think, "Ah, maybe I instinctually let you win." <laughs> eventually, yeah, maybe. then coming to terms with the fact that no, I'm training you. The entire point is that you'll eventually rival me. Who knows? Uh, Speaking of, Sarah, could you pronounce the two words that Cho uses and explain exactly what those two spells are? Because there's Expelliarmus, and then there's another one that, may, that sets her partner on fire. I, no, it's not actually a thing. She's just mispronouncing shit, and it's magic gone awry. This it, is not. Is it magic gone awry, or is this just another new spell that we haven't seen before? Um, I have to find it in my uh, pictures. Also, is faux glass plexiglass? <laughs> That's another callback, though. We have seen that before. Um, I think she just says, like, exp- she uses, like... Uh, oh, yeah, no, that's, those are, those are mispronunciations. Yeah. Okay, so... Of Expelliarmus. Said, yeah, she's gotten flustered around Harry, Spencer. Uh, and this is wonder, the, this yeah. is the manifestation. It, speaking of that, I haven't done predictions in a long Surprising time. Surprising things are coming out of her wand. 
I haven't done predictions in a long time, but the fact the books have now gone so hard into the two of them crushing on each other is just telling me they're not going to work out. <laughs> That's the prediction I'm going with just from a writing standpoint, is that they're too much at an 11 in book five, not going to work. You don't think so- there's something's... two and a half books to sustain this <laughs> budding romance? No, no I, I think... I, I think Spencer, that... Spencer's on the uh, Potter Malfoy ship. <laughs> really fucking not, but glad we're having this talk now. <laughs> Uh, thought had never crossed my mind and now my mind is worse that it's in there it's never crossed your mind you have no idea what what fan bases of of any material are rampant i I am aware of the shipping that drives the harry potter fan community i'm aware of it and i've consciously avoided it because i'm aware of it but you know that snape's on there too right 100 percent that I'm aware of. Apparently the entire fan base crushes on him. I'm guess because he was played by Alan Rickman. I'm guessing. Because otherwise, I'm not seeing it. Your, your approach to shipping and internet rumors is so funny to me, Spencer. Because it's like very Zen Master. You're like, I acknowledge the thought. And then I gently place a bubble around it and let it float away. Yeah. It's a, it's a conscious idea of, now that I'm aware it's existed, I can slingshot around it like it's a gravity well to get more quickly <laughs> to where I want to go. But that, that is it for me. Uh, Sarah, this was an, a, a chapter with a lot of characters. A lot of characters, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in light of that, who wins and who wins who loses? And also not a whole lot of losing. No, not a whole lot. Actually, I think winning is, is both... Well, it's it's easier, I think. Because I think this is a Harry wins chapter. I think Harry had an exceptional chapter. He has not won a chapter in a, since the beginning of the book. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like this is a good chapter for Harry. His only sort of downfall in this chapter is that... He gets some extra homework from Charms, and he has to trudge through the mud with his broom he that could that. very easily carry him over said mud. Um, but other than that, like he ends on a very high note, um, mm-hmm. and really had like a pretty okay chapter. The it, rest it, of it the was time. also also unlike so many other times when Harry has won, this is a chapter where he's winning through his own agency. Yes. He is winning through his own decisions, yeah. through people respecting his authority, through gaining further skills, through actual experience rather than just natural ability. Mm-hmm. Harry is winning but because Harry's doing the things to win this chapter. Harry's not the winner of this chapter. You have a contrary argument. Please tell us. I do. And I ha- I have the result. And I know <laughs> as soon as I say it, Sarah's going to agree because it's Dobby. Dobby gets all the things that he has ever wanted. He gets to help Harry Potter... In what Harry Potter wants to do, he delivers Harry's owl. Like, Dobby has the best chapter that he has ever had. I agree that Dobby has a great chapter. I you, I do you, agree that Dobby has a great chapter. You're just being difficult because, like, <laughs> Harry finally had a win. But 100%, Harry, Harry is not the winner of this chapter. It's Dobby. Uh, I am okay with you declaring that, it, that it's Harry because Harry needs a win. Because he's the main character and he has main character syndrome. But this is not his chapter. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm still picking Harry, Harry Winter, fine. Dobby, a solid runner-up. Well yeah, done, BJ. Yeah. Dobby uh, has a great chapter. I, I am... I, the, the real reason that I don't agree with that as an, as an answer is that, like, I do think that we have a lot of evidence of Dobby... Dobby is existing at a steady state, it was fun this chapter that there was even a, a much clearer demonstration that there is a certain element of plastered smiling face on Dobby when it comes to like when he's talking about is it Winky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, of where moment moment the conversation goes to Winky, his 
face just changes into something that's very fixed. Mm-hmm. It's very put on facade. And that's a certain element of, oh, okay, there is some sadness here that's not allowed to express itself. Yeah, that's like low-key a really distressing moment of this chapter. Um, it is. I mean, it, that, 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 in terms of the emotional feeling moments of this chapter, that was one of the most effective of just that he's got a friend that he very much cares about and he's trying to help and it's not working. And there's a certain element of helplessness going into that, which part of why he seizes so hard on Harry here. But I will award Adabi a, a, a solid runner-up, as we as we have said. Um, uh, lo- loser, I feel like you got a couple options, but it said most people are doing well here, other than maybe the house elf we just mentioned. Yeah, but, but she's, uh, not, she's on not on screen. screen. Yep, not on screen. So I will I will accept nominations for loser. I was going to say maybe Angelina. Just that she's invested a hell of a lot in getting back on the pitch, and she has a kind of shit first practice day, despite all determination to make it work. To the point, she calls it early. Angelina ends practice early due to the conditions. That's not a great day for her. No, she's pissed. And it got canceled again. Mm Mm-hmm. But the team did get to reform, which is something, I guess. But no one else really has, like, a loss this chapter. Everybody else is at least having some category of of victory most of the time. Zachariah Smith. Zachariah Smith gets a little bit humiliated a couple times. Maybe that's enough, just because he doesn't have many other clear wins to balance it out. Yeah, that that might be it, especially because it was so clear that he was like trying in that in that conversation with Harry about Expelliarmus that he was so clearly trying to undercut Harry's authority for like reasons. Um, Mm. I buy Zachariah Smith. That makes sense to me. I think it's a good call, Peter. I'm I'm with that. Where. He tries to, in some way, challenge Harry's authority, at least mock him, and Harry silences it with a word and a glare. And notably, no one else in the room is behind it. It's not like he's working the crowd or has you know, some loyal followers yeah. here. Everyone's kind of tired of his shit already. As am I. I agree. <laughs> Why are you even here? Um, okay. Undercover Slytherin. Um, Questions. Are there rules... And not, I don't mean in real life, I mean in text, on the subject of what gear you can or cannot wear on the Quidditch pitch. So they, they don't, they've clearly never popped wearing goggles or rain gear or anything along those lines. Are there rules on that point, or just tradition trump all? I, this feels like a tradition thing to me. I don't think we... Not in the book. We don't, in these books, we don't get any rules. We might... Rowling might go into it in the Quidditch book that she wrote. Um, I'm not sure. Somebody's going to have clap skates or laser suits, and it's just going to, like, throw everything into a, uh, a tailspin. <laughs> gonna... it'll, it'll be a clean sweep from that team <laughs> that year. <laughs> well done, BJ. You're, again, kudos. Most of the time, they just hurt me physically. These have actually been well executed and timed. Bravo. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I... I... I would all if if there aren't rules, they need to have them because otherwise, like BJ said, I can fully picture this being like you know that year at the Summer Olympics when they put on those specialty swimming suits that made every single world record just utterly be shattered. That laser year. suits, yeah, yeah. Is that, is that what they're called? Yeah. Laser suits? Yeah. I think so. Those. And then the the clap skates were like the the big leap forward in speed skating, where like it was like the North Korean skater is the only one that didn't have them and and was like a lap behind everybody else, and yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, okay, but it is a curious point because it, the fact that Harry's glasses with impervious cast upon them effectively are very useful gear they're not using is interesting. If there isn't an official Spencer, rule on this point, I'm gonna t- 
turn things sideways because uh, I have wizard wheezes and I can do all sorts of dumb, entertaining things that, for me, I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. What do you imagine the professional Quidditch players to wear when they play Quidditch? Well, given that the students don't wear protective gear, I'm assuming they don't, because you would have thought that would work go- the students having more protective gear up. I think. Do you imagine that they wear robes like the students do, or do you imagine it's more of like a, a football jersey? Or my, my picture, based on what we have seen so far, and based on like the team colors, everything else that everybody else was wearing when we saw them going to the World Cup, I think this is such a high bound tradition that everyone just wears robes in particular colors. I think that's basically the the uniforms we're seeing now are the same uniforms they wear up and down the chain. I, that that's my picturing of it as well. Um, I also imagine that this is kind of, this is the NASCAR of, uh, the wizarding world (laughs) because there has been basically no real advances since the generation of this sport. Uh, Mm. there might be some broom improvements, but like that isn't clear if it's the, uh, available for purchase brooms or the professional brooms that actually change, uh, and how that happens. But uh, I'm going to posit that I'm not going to go so far as there's some like potion running that started out Quidditch. Uh, that that's a little bit too too deep in the uh, NASCAR roots dive that that we're not going to go. But that basically there are significant rules in place to keep everybody on as level playing field as possible, and kind of like uh, a recent floor your accelerator into the wall when certain things like the uh, sloth roll, Mm -hmm. they have to make a significant decision as to whether to allow it or not. And very often, the answer is not. Uh, I think we've had a... Sorry, Sarah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I am uh, only looking at the contents of Quidditch through the ages, and apparently there were significant changes to Quidditch in the 14th century. Um... The chapters include the evolution of the flying broomstick, ancient broom games, the game from Queerditch March, Marsh, the arrival of the golden snitch, anti-muggle precautions, changes in Quidditch oh, since the 14th century, including to the pitch, balls, players, rules, and referees, Quidditch teams of Britain and Ireland, the spread of Quidditch worldwide, the development of the racing broom, and Quidditch today. So this might be the answer to our questions. I think there's a few of them probably found in there. Uh, on what... To comment before we know, BJ, I largely agree with your theory because it does fit into the kind of medieval stasis. Well, most fantasy worlds run on medieval stasis or medieval stagnation just to, you know, have enough time for things to occur. And a sense of a history that you don't have to ponder about how much, you know, when the transition from bronze to iron happened in your own in your own universe. Harry Potter's on a very much, you know, like early countryside Victorian stasis. We've seen a lot to suggest that the only innovation that's occurring is by Fred and George, and that everything everything else has basically been a kind of fixed in place for at least the last few hundred years. So, if the Quidditch rules fall in the same category, I would not be surprised. Um, BJ, got any questions? I've got one more. I have questions, but they're they're not. Go ahead with your question. <laughs> Should we assume that the room of requirement is sentient in the same way as we've seen of other magical artifacts, like you know the Sorting Hat? Is it an actual sentient object in terms of, you know, it knows what people want, it helps people when they most need, or is it just so thoroughly an enchanted object that there's no level of actual decision-making, it's just an automatic magical effect? Do we know? I don't think we know. Um, If I had to 
guess I don't I don't think it's sentient in the same way that the sorting hat is. Um I think that it's one of those sort of like spots of so much magic that things happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't get the sense from when we see it now and, and the many, many times we encounter it going forward that it is like making decisions necessarily. Um, I'm going to put two things forward that are going to make you unhappy, Sarah. And I'm excited about this. Mm. The first, um, it says something very saddening about the book that Dobby can access it because Uh. and then the second thing uh, that I will posit is that the room is something that was uh, transfigured that never got turned back Hmm. and so while it isn't this is your snuff box (laughs) it's not a snuff box but, but had you done something like um more impressive and transfigured it into a room you will get something like the room of requirement but it requires a sacrifice of something like a unicorn hmm. that, 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 that could I, be an interesting that, that could be an interesting implication for all we don't see more uber powerful magical artifacts in this day and age of where people back in the day were more willing to metaphorically kick the dog by doing that kind of sacrifice to make them whereas in this day and age a there aren't, aren't as many of those uber powerful magical creatures to sacrifice and b ethical qualms have gotten in the way of magical advancement. This is one of those theories where I just have to be like, well, I guess there's no evidence to contradict that. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Our our theories right now are the one most beautiful thing in the universe was sacrificed to make this room, or Sarah's theory of, it's just a font of magical power that's there. Both are equally plausible. But we know that there are loads of things that get transformed into inanimate objects and there's no clear effect on them but we also know that like magical buildings are built that do weird shit so without sac but well i guess we don't necessarily know that there were not sacrifices of magical creatures involved <laughs> every single building we've seen before is powered by a, by a sacrificed <laughs> child i mean essentially that's how gringotts works right Room again sacrifices diana oh god okay no, i understand <laughs> Uh, that's all the questions I have, okay. unless BJ would like to ask any more. Well, nope, I've enjoyed my, my quibbles. This was fun. <laughs> Let's find out what the next chapter is. Yeah, this is actually it. a surprise to me. I don't have my book with me, so please. It's The Lion and the Serpent. Ah, oh. And it has somebody, unclear who, with a lion on top of their mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had to bet, BJ, who do you think is wearing what appears to be an entire lion head? It appears to be a, a young girl. gut says Jenny. I was I was thinking Jenny too. Um, There's a certain like red. It, there's, it's black and white, but I almost saw the hair as being like reddish. It's either blonde or red or something like that. So that seems the most reasonable. I don't know. Okay. Well, I've got no idea what this chapter is about and why they'd be particularly wearing the entire heads of lions at any given moment. <laughs> but I'm eager to find it's out. It's about a wardrobe, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> the room of requirement actually just goes into wartime London. Oh dear Christ. <laughs> We have found- oh, I was thinking, like, there's a line in a witch, so there must be a wardrobe in the chapter, but... <laughs> she she was seizing on that and running with it. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. through the wardrobe takes you to Hogwarts. I didn't need there to be a Narnia crossover in the series, but glad to have it now. Now you do. <laughs> I, I, I really don't think that very much Christian metaphor would be very tolerant of this story. 
Uh, no, based on the many, many Christians that I, Christian families I knew that would not let their children read the Harry Potter series growing up. I think that there would have been. Did they let them read the Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe? Yes. The Lion is the, okay. the Lion is no, Jesus. No, no, I, I, I yeah. 100% understand yeah, yeah, yeah. that, but I feel like the, the, the families that don't let their children read certain books wouldn't know. Yeah, no, it was weird. Loved C.S. Lewis, loved Tolkien. Okay. Interesting. I, I almost wonder would Tolkien be pushing him too hard. Yeah, but. I don't. That was, that was where it came. Those were the lines. Okay. The classics. Did they ever give their children swords for Christmas? I have no insight into that. <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah. Sorry. I, had I known that this would come up twenty-five years later, I would have paid more attention. <laughs> Taken notes. But, y'all, this was a blast. Had a lot of fun with this chapter. Uh, quite looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.